Back to James chapter 1, this morning, verses 1 to 4. James 1, 1 to 4. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. My brethren, count it all joy when ye fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Father, this morning the congregation has beautifully sung of the completion that we anticipate in the coming day of Christ. We've sung the words justified, sanctified, and glorified. And we've done so with good biblical support for the thought that in the day of Christ ahead, we will be glorified even in our flesh. Lord, we confront in this passage of Scripture today, written by thy dear servant, a complementary concept that would appear to be somewhat the same and yet so radically different. And there is no doubt that we have plenty of evidence, each and every one of us have plenty of evidence of the need for such a thing. And so we are glad today to come to the topic in our study of James, of what it is to come to a moment in time that we might call spiritually steady. Oh, that my life, oh, that the lives of this congregation would come to the place of spiritually steady. We do pray this, even as we intend to preach this in the moments afforded us in this hour. Bless then we pray. In Jesus' name and for his sake, amen. Spiritually steady, are you? Spiritually steady. Are you spiritually steady? Last time we were in this text, we looked at that first imperative, count it all joy. doesn't say that life is always joyful. doesn't say that you are under command to feel joyful. If you think that God commands you to feel joyful, you probably likewise feel guilty (laughs) because you don't feel joyful. There's nothing worse than somebody singing, be happy, don't worry, just be happy, as if you could. You cannot oftentimes control your own feelings. But what you can do, if you're a Christian, is that you can calculate 
you can count it all joy when you fall into diverse testings. And you can count it joy because of what you know. And what you know is, is that God uses testing to bring, as it were, steadiness, patience, endurance, perseverance into the context of your life. You and I are to gain and maintain a joyful spirit as we face various times and types of testing. I like what commentator John Phillips has to say. He says, quote, trials are not electives in God's school. Trials are required courses. God uses an ongoing process of testing throughout our lives, not so that he can see how far we've come or how much we failed, but that we might see how far we've come or how much we failed. Again, I love what Phillips has to say about these very first verses. He says that those trials, those testings of God, are used of God to, one, move us, two, mellow us, and three, mature us. God uses testings to move us because we're not in the right place. Not necessarily a physical reality, sometimes an emotional reality, sometimes a spiritual reality. And so God uses testing to move us. God uses testings to mellow us. Now, some of you need not mellowing. Some of you were born of the mellow variety. And I tell you, I envy you. I really do. I'm inclined to envy you who were born on the soft side of life. Uh, but there are those of us that greatly need God's mellowing, greatly need the aspect of peace be still in the soul. Uh, and uh, and uh, uh, God uses testings to mellow us. And then, of course, God uses uh, testings to mature us. The Bible word is perfect us. The Bible word is complete us. And uh, there is a confusable based upon what we're going to teach today from James chapter 1 and what we just sang as a congregation this morning about uh, uh, the uniqueness of complete in the Lord, some golden day break, some golden day, some day ahead, complete in the Lord in the day of Christ. We'll get to that. Uh, testing is the process employed by our all-wise God for our good and for his glory. Since sovereign God controls this testing process, we are to understand that the only way out of a God-ordained trial is through it. Many a believer has taken an exit ramp away from the will of God only to wander on the side roads of the wilderness until they find themselves back at the highway at the exact same ramp where they exited. Believe me when I tell you that God can get you right back to where you were again and again and again. 
We are told in the end of verse 3 that this divine testing process is very productive. And its first fruit is personal endurance or personal perseverance. Now James knows how easy it is to resist the clear will of God revealed in trial. And so he admonishes the believer, secondly, second imperative, to let that perseverance, let that patience produced, take care of the business of which it was assigned. The second imperative, verse 4, but let patience have her perfect work. I grasp it a little easier by putting the ing on the word perfect. Let patience have her perfecting work. The idea that we are often unwilling to let patience take care of the divine business is herein forwarded. We, like a student, who after meeting the professor and getting the class syllabus, decide to withdraw from class. We might liken ourselves to a person who joins a health club but never shows up to exercise. Having a health club card in your wallet is no health benefit at all. Agreed? Likewise, To be a Christian and not to poise yourself to be in cooperation with God day in and day out uh, uh, lacks practical spiritual benefit in the here and the now. So in verse 4, we find the second command, building upon the first imperative, count it all joy, and we are to let, in this second command, the divinely controlled process accomplish It's divinely scheduled business. Let patience work. Let patience do its work as God has assigned it. Now, most of us know and have taken some sense of delight in the statement of Paul to the Philippians, he that hath begun a good work in you will continue to perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Likewise, Paul said to the Philippians, it is God that works in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. Uh, That is the work of God in you and me that James has in mind, although the end of the work James has in mind is this side of heaven. And the work to which Paul relates in Philippians 1.6 is the other side of heaven. And in fact, the song that we sang this morning uh, that used those words in the refrain of justified, sanctified, and glorified uh, puts the aspect of glorification as that which is future in the day of Christ. When we are with the Lord, when we gather together in him, then we anticipate a sense of completion as we've never known it before. Amen? So here's my dilemma this morning. My dilemma this morning is, is that that theological truth of completion ahead is to be complicated, kind of complicated, complemented 
complicated in my mind, complemented by the aspect of the sense of completion in me and you right now. Complete then? Sure. I'm talking about complete now. And so what's the difference between complete and complete? Well, one of the differences between complete then and complete now has to do with my body and your body. And we're not going to talk about it because it's very discouraging. But one of the differences between complete then and complete now has to do with the body. And I am so glad to say that when we talk about the complete then, then, complete then, we get to talk about a new body. And uh, more and more and more and more and more, some of us are really looking forward to that. But the complete now has little to do with the body except that it does help you to tell your body what to do. Because your body and my body doesn't always like these days to do what we ought to do. And so the sense of complete that James is talking about has to do, in part, with taking this wretched flesh of ours and telling it by God's power what to do. And so I go when I feel sometimes like staying. And I stay sometimes when I feel like going and uh, all the other kinds of possibilities that you yourself can imagine without my help. But the business or the work of verse 4 is spoken of in a threefold way that culminates in a sense of perfect or entire, as the Bible word has it in the English text, for now. And the best words I can think of this morning as we would contrast the idea of completion ahead in the day of Christ with completion now, as James talks about it, the best words I know to describe that sense of perfection or entirety now would be these two words. Spiritually steady. Are you spiritually steady? Verse 4 can be restated in a formula of sorts with the words patience develops or perfects the believer unto done or complete without any disability or lack. Patience develops the believer until done without any sense of disability. This is the business, this is the God-assigned business of patience or endurance. You and I that are in Christ are to cooperate with that process and not resist it. Let me illustrate quickly. The art of blacksmith 
is virtually unknown in our day except in historical reenactments and maybe in an Amish community. But the blacksmith places metal in very hot coals in order to make it malleable. When once the metal is softened, malleable, then it can be molded or hammered into its desired shape. If the blacksmith pulls the metal out of the fire too soon, it is practically impossible to work with. Likewise, you and I have a role to play in keeping our metal in God's fire. We do not correctly see ourselves as the blacksmith. If we were to talk of the blacksmith, it would be capital B, blacksmith, this morning. And there's a lot more to us than a hunk of metal, to be sure. But I'm simply saying that we have a role to play in cooperation so as to keep ourselves spiritually malleable, spiritually soft in the hands of God. Do not withdraw from God's class. Do not pull your metal out of the fire too soon. Let patience do its business. And when you take that simple concept in the three ways in which it's broken down in the fourth verse, then you can say these three things about that process or about that work of God, a process under the banner of patience or perseverance. Number one, patience, deliver, uh, patience develops. That's the word I want. Develops the believer. Patience is involved in a finishing work. Carpenters are usually divided into two classes. Those that do uh, the rough work, the wall work, the stud work, and then finishing carpenters who come in and do the finishing work of cabinets and counters. And likewise, here, God has a finisher. And the finisher is named patience. And the word perfect here is, of course, not speaking of moral perfection or sinless perfection, but it is speaking about spiritual maturity, or if you will, spiritual steady. It speaks of a well-taught well believer who is fully prepared to live the life of Christ here and now. Most jobs have a training period. When once trained, then the expectation is that you will do the job. If you do the job consistently well, then you may be asked to train others. And of course, that is exactly the case of the New Testament lay of the land concerning spiritual study. You are to be trained yourself to become spiritually steady. And then as one that is spiritually steady, you indeed are to train others. That's called discipleship. Discipleship involves the gospel and salvation. Discipleship involves spiritual 
steadiness. People can help people with their spiritual steadiness. Such a person is no longer a novice. He or she certainly seeks to avoid sin, but if he or she does still sin, he or she is quick to confess it and to know the Lord's forgiveness. The spiritually steady believer seeks to live Christ day after day and understands that there is a responsibility to help others in the seeking of their own spiritual steadiness. Trials, testings, assist all God's children unto this spiritual steadiness. The word commonly used among the commentators is maturity. Maturity is certainly the result of letting patience work, but I find that those same commentators, as do I, struggle to define precisely this idea of what it means to be spiritually mature apart from this concept of spiritually steady. And if you're spiritually steady, you can still be knocked down. But you'll get back up. Spiritual steady is what we're talking about. And the first little prong of this uh, threefold verse, four, is uh, that patience develops the believer's spiritual steadiness. Secondly, patience develops the believer until he or she is done. And you have that indication, but let patience have her perfect work that ye may be, present tense, perfect. That you may be complete, entire, right now. And that's why I've got involved this morning in this contrast between the theological, eschatological reality of our completion in the body, in the totality, in the, in the day of Christ ahead, and the, and the sense of completion as James is speaking about it here in James chapter 1. I would argue that James 1 is talking about a different kind of done, a different kind of complete than is Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6. And that causes me to ask myself and to ask you, are we spiritually steady? And to say that we are spiritually steady doesn't mean that we walk around thinking that we're better than other people or that we've gone beyond the realm by which we could sin. Spiritual steady just means we've come to the place of spiritual steady, that when we fall, we get back up. When we sin, we confess it. Uh, James is talking about the idea that this patience process, this perseverance process, when it works, we're to let it work, that when we let God's work work in us, that it brings us to this place of done or spiritually steady, spiritually stable in daily expression of Christ. This spiritual sense of steady has very, very little to do with chronological age. 
It has to do with a believer's consistent walk with the Lord. There is no easy way to discern spiritual maturity or spiritual steadiness in the life of another person. That is why we sometimes think a person is steady in the Lord when in fact they have just been around for a long time. Just as unwise teens and adults do not make wise senior citizens, so spiritually undisciplined and unsteady people do not make for spiritual steadiness. You cannot make yourself spiritually steady. But he who saves you works within you both to will and to do his good pleasure. And it is the will of God. Listen, it is the will of God. Listen, it absolutely is the will of God that you be spiritually steady. And if you're not, then we know where the problem lies. Not with God and not with the process that he has ordained to make that happen in me and you. Therefore, James is indicating to us here how that you and I must be indeed presenting ourselves before God as living sacrifices unto God, holy and acceptable unto his will, in order that we might come, even long before the day of Christ, to a place of spiritual steadiness. Now, it's interesting to me that with this latest surge of whatever brand of COVID it is, I, I, I'm afraid we're going to be hearing about all the different kind of brands of COVID uh, until the day that we all die. Uh, but uh, nonetheless, uh, the latest brand has caused, once again, the government to offer its free test. And you can get, according to what I saw on the website, you can get four free COVID tests uh, to see if you've contracted uh, the virus. Uh, I don't recommend you do, but you can if you want to. I'm just telling you they're there. But I would offer you uh, uh, four uh, free uh, tests uh, to see if you are on your way or engaged in the process necessary in order to uh, experience spiritual steadiness. Four questions. One, what is your daily routine in hearing from God and his word and talking to God in prayer? When it comes to spiritual study, the first category of testing, the first category that God uses patients to work in is this idea of hearing from God through the written pages of his word and talking to God in prayer. There is a regular pattern of hearing from God through his word and talking to God in prayer in the life of every single person who is indeed spiritually steady. If you know anybody that is spiritually steady, there's some kind of a pattern in their life of hearing from God 
and talking to God. Number two, spiritually steady people are ever seeking to strengthen their faith and deal with their remaining sins by the gospel. Spiritual steady people are convinced they still sin. And constantly seek the Lord for a strengthening of their faith and a dealing of the remaining issues of sin in their lives. Steady people, spiritually speaking, are not those who believe they sin not. Quite the contrary. Number three, spiritually steady people work to set their affections on things above. They work to be ever alerted to the temporary nature of all earthly things. They look to be consistently related to the Savior and the Spirit. They not only rejoice in their salvation, but they work with God's sanctification process onto greater steadiness. And number four, spiritually mature or spiritually steady people look eagerly to the return of Christ. They expect him in that coming day to act according to promise. In other words, spiritual steadiness involves the exercise of one's faith, one's love, one's hope in Christ. And so it's wonderful to have the theological conviction that some golden daybreak you and I will be complete in Christ. But it is also imperative that you understand that God's will is that you and I be steady in the Lord right here right now today. And that's why James says, in addition to calculate your joy based upon this process of God, he goes on to say, but let patience have her perfecting work, that ye may be done, that ye may be complete in the sense of this side of heaven, complete. And what words would we use to describe this side of heaven complete? Well, we'd use the word spiritually steady. That brings us to the third thing, which is the last phrase of verse 4, wanting nothing, which means, of course, lacking nothing, as in, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, I shall not lack. No spiritual disability exist in the life of the mature believer. 
he or she may still stumble and fall, but then he or she knows and is willing uh, to get back up. Been a long time since I talked about one of my favorite illustrations, one of my sugar stick illustrations, and zip boom theory. How many of you have heard me speak of zip boom theory? Let me see your hand. Oh, more of you than that. More than, okay, a few of you, 10 of you, great. I don't believe it. But nonetheless, zip boom. What is zip boom? Well, zip boom is the way I learned to skate. Ice skate. My dad took me to the rink. I had those, those skates with two runners on each foot. Stupid. But nonetheless, two runners on each foot. And he took me out in the ice, and he let go of my hand, and I skated zip boom. And then my dad skated over to me, and he, and he said to me these phenomenally important words of a father to a son. He said, get up. And I did. And my skating career went zip, boom. And then zip, boom. And then zip, boom. And then zip, boom. And then that's enough out of me. Uh, but the point is, is that today, even today, if I run ice skates, it's still more zip than boom. Zip boom theory is predicated upon these phenomenal words of my earthly father, son, get up. Well, here are the words of your heavenly father, son, get up. Don't wallow in the disappointment of your sorry self because you are a sorry self. You've always been a sorry self. This side of heaven, you will always be a sorry self. And if you don't know yourself to be a sorry self, well then, you have no reason to hear the rest of this sermon. You may depart now. But if you know yourself to be a sinner still, and for all the progress that you've made in the Lord, oh, it's so sickening sometimes the way that you still are. But if you've learned to preach to yourself the gospel of Christ and the gospel of Christ and the gospel of Christ and know that the gospel of saving is also the gospel of sanctifying, then we not only believe, but we believe and believe and believe and believe and believe. And as a result of that, we get back up. And in getting back up, we let God have his patient work, his persevering work in us. And it brings us, it brings us to a place of spiritual steady. Peter tells us of our positional completeness when he says, quote, as his divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. James herein speaks of our practical completeness so as to live for Jesus a life that is true. One last illustration 
and I'll be done. The computer you bought has all the power and the programs necessary to do the things that you desire. But you are not yet proficient in working those programs. So you work your way through the two tutorials, one at a time. And before long, you develop a modicum of proficiency. Now, you still make typing errors, and at times, you mindlessly click on the wrong thing. Sometimes, you do something that you know won't work, even before you do it. But you do it anyway. And then you confess to yourself, now that was stupid. But overall, after working your way through the tutorials, you develop a sense of proficiency. I believe that James 1.4 is talking about an element of spiritual proficiency. James tells us that trials, or God's tutorials, bring us to a condition of spiritual proficiency, spiritual steadiness. Peter tells us when we possess the condition uh, I should say, Peter tells us that we uh, possess uh, the, the hardware uh, and the software necessary uh, for life and godliness. And James tells us uh, that uh, uh, we uh, should never resist the idea of working the tutorials. By way of James, uh, we understand that our spiritual sense of proficiency or our spiritual sense of steadiness comes in direct proportion to our ability to handle God's testing process. There are many things that God accomplishes in us and through us by use of his faithful testing. May we therefore gain and maintain a positive perspective as we face various types and trials of testing by trusting in our Father's wise bestowment as we sing the truth, we have no need to worry or despair. God would move us. God would mellow us. God would mature us so that we all have a sense of spiritual steadiness as we eagerly look for the day of ultimate completion as promised in Jesus Christ our Lord. Father, thank you for a clear text and for a good understanding of thy blessed work within us by the Spirit of God, to your glory, and for our good. Help us then to be in full cooperation with thee, our God. For we pray this in Jesus' name and for his blessed sake. Amen.